Jeremiah 18. How many brought a Bible today? Wow. Keep it shut. Um, I just, you don't have to open it because we're going to go there. Uh, how many of you guys are, uh, remember Gumby? Oh, good, good, good. Well, there's a theme song that says, and he can walk into any book. That almost sounds just wrong after that. I won't think. <laughs> he can walk into any book with his pony pal Pokey too. Gumby used to walk into these fairy tales, right? Well, we're going to walk literally into the 18th chapter, the first verse of the book of Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament prophet, the 18th chapter. Here's what it says. Jeremiah, arise and go down to the potter's house. So here's what Jeremiah pins. So I got up and I went down to the potter's house and I watched the potter work on the potter's wheel. Now, the pot that the potter was shaping from clay became marred in his hands, broken. And then the potter did something. He formed it into another vessel that actually seemed better to him than the first one of which he was making. And then the message came to me, Jeremiah wrote. And here's the message. O house of Israel, can I not do to you what the potter has done to the clay, declares the Lord. Like clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. The word Israel means, translate, governed or ruled by God. He wanted Jeremiah to go down, watch a potter, work on the wheel. Why? The clay and the wheel are one. This is where the potter grabs the clay and fashions it on the wheel. Once the potter puts the clay on the wheel, the clay can't come off the wheel unless the potter takes it. I've already prepared this wheel for the clay I'm going to fashion on top of it. I put some water on it. I wipe the water off. It creates some moisture even in the metal that when I put this clay on it, it's going to suck itself onto that wheel. There's no way it comes off. I'm going to do that here in a minute. Now, here's what I want you to know. There is never a potter's wheel that I have ever bought that already had its clay on it. We are not automatically governed or fact. We are not governed by God. As a matter of fact, we are born into a world. It's fallen world. It, sin entered into the world and it just took over everything. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. You can't go to heaven. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life and no man will come to the Father except through me. Why? Holy God, holy presence. Got to be washed with holy blood. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. God gave man a free will. John put to this, we've all been created by God, but we're not all children of God unless we receive him. Now, I'm going to tell you on August 2nd, 1991, I was 31 years old. I lived 31 years of my life. Didn't believe in God. And I really did like having a lot of fun with those who said they did. I really did. I thought that they were weak and it just fa fairy tale. But then I found myself in a desperation if there really was a God that I, I wanted to know him and needed him. Because there wasn't enough money and there wasn't enough anything that I could do to fix the situation I was in. Unfortunately, that's where the hypocrisy for me, that pushed me further away because I didn't want to ever get to a place that I thought I was going to need. No, God, I could always get myself out of a circumstance, situation. This one I wasn't. So I had to humbly come before the Lord. 
And it was August 2nd, 1991. I got home, I opened up the door to the house. I was in the Mercedes, had a Rolex watch, a, you know, Armani suit, Halliburton briefcase, Mont Blanc pin, ballet shoes. I had all the stuff. Closet full of Italians. Opened up the door of the house and was broken before the Lord. And all I can tell you is what I'm going to tell you next. I'm going to want you to listen up. It has nothing to do about religion. It has to do with a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's what happened. I invited Him in my heart. And the evidence of it is now 27 years later. And the evidence is this. When I went under that piano, I was completely and absolutely distraught because I had an 18-year alcohol addiction and 11-year cocaine addiction that was completely destroying my life and my marriage. On that day... Out of that brokenness, I cried out to God. He picked me up, and he set my feet upon the rock. That clay doesn't come off until I pull it off. It's 50 pounds of dirt, has no value, and yet I already know what I'm going to do with it. And I'm going to tell you up front what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to make it into a beautiful vase that all of you are going to be so blown away. And then after I make it into a vase, I'm going to tell you what I normally don't do, but I'm going to tell you today today because I'm going to share with you that even when I do it, you're still going to not believe I'm telling you you're going to do it and you're still going to react the same way I said, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to, I'm going to mar that vase and then you're going to go, <gasps> and then I'm going to say, I told you, and you will have forgot because it's going to happen in about 42 minutes. <laughs> and then I'm going to make it into what I won't tell you, but I'm going to make it into what I already knew I'm going to make today. And I'm telling you I'm going to do it before I even begun the work. How, what does that mean? Well, God created us. He designed us. He called me by name in my mother's womb, Jeremiah 1.5. Before he formed me in my mother's womb, I knew you. This is what his word says. Before you were ever born, I set you apart. Lord, you knew me? Did you know I was going to be a baby boy on October 8, 1959? He said, I called you by name, February. Long before your mom and dad did. And by the way, if you have any doubt that I am who I said I am, Mike, over that nine months... Wrapped in water, tied to a core, I took your mother's egg, the largest cell in the human body, one of four cells you can actually see with the naked eye. I took one drop of your dad's sperm, of which I could have populated planet Earth with two billion human beings, but I called you by name. And over those nine months, I knitted together 100 million receptors in your eyes so you can see 26,000 fibers in your ears. So you can hear your heart's going to pump 34 million times a year. Your blood through 60,000 miles of veins, arteries, and tubing, 206 bones, 500 muscles allow you to walk. When I formed your brain, three pounds of brain mass. 13 billion nerve cells allow you to recall everything you've ever tasted, done, and smell. You happen to be the most complicated combination of molecules ever be set in motion. Mankind will never be able to comprehend what I do over a period of nine months, wrapped in water, tied to core, feeding on a mother's body, and yet you always thought you were a self-made man. Can I ask you what part you made? Potter clay relationship is so simple that a child can see it and yet profound that I get invited to go to Boston College, MIT, because the one thing for sure is that the makeup of this clay body is 13 elements. It's the same 13 elements that make up our physical bodies. Genesis 2 7 says, I form man from the dust of the ground. This is long before there was science. So here's what I want you to know. When the Bible says that we're dirt, we're dirt. Science says we're makeup is dirt. And this clay body that I have right here, 75 to 80% of it's made up of water. So let's get into the message. What do you guys see? Clay. How old are you? 11-year-olds going clay. Now, last week I had a 5-year-old go clay. And I'm not kidding you, the adults were like, 
trick question, honey. Don't answer it. <laughs> That's the right answer. If you were, had the mind of Einstein, you would see clay. Eight and a half pound to be exact. I weighed it out. That's what you see. No one asked me what I see. Someone asked me, Mike, what do you see with it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. You see, I'm here today because I don't see you like this. I'm here today because I'm seeing you in the potential of what God can do. If you're yielded to him. God put people in my life that inspired me, encouraged me, and saw me what I could be in him. Not what the world told me I was. You're all unique and you're all rare. The one thing that keeps us from experiencing what God has for us to be, unbelief. Our unbelief. Lord, forgive me of my unbelief. 31 years, forgive me of my unbelief. Now, I come 31 years. I grew up in Southern California. I come from four generations of heathen, filthy dog pigs. And I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) My wife, she grew up in, um, in Georgia. She grew up in church. She grew up comes from an amazing Christian family. Um, I will say that an 11-year-old girl, she came forward, opened up her heart, and received Christ as her Savior. Did all the things that Christian kids do. But at 17, 18, she went out for a local beauty pageant for the ladies that weren't here at the tea the other night. Pam went out for a local beauty pageant. Miss Thomasville, Georgia, and she actually shared her faith that night. But she also won the beauty pageant. <laughs> so she's Miss Thomasville. So she had to go compete in the state finals, the Miss Georgia, you know. And she won Miss Georgia. <laughs> and that, yeah, Right. And they loaded up like the whole town in these three Greyhound buses. And they had like the banner said, our girl Pam EGA, you know. And they drove to Atlantic City and Pam competed in the Miss America pageant. And if you're wondering how she did there, she finished in the top 50 in in Miss America. Uh, Pam got a degree in journalism. This this is a very important part of our uh, our testimony together and hers. Uh, She got a degree in journalism from the University of South Carolina. Beelines to New York City. This is what her passion and desire was, to be in a Broadway musical. Pam gets her, gets an apartment, starts going on auditions, and cast almost immediately in the Broadway musical 42nd Street. Does three companies of that show from the chorus to the actual starring role, Dorothy Brock. Now, I tell you all of this because at a very early age, Pam experienced a great level of worldly success. But it was there also that what happened was she started to what the Bible says. She started to backslide. She started to turn away from her first love. It was very subtle. She started to turn down the volume of her conscience. She started to question the word of God. And in a very subtle way, she starts moving away from God. Little bit of compromise, little bits of compromise. Compromise. It wasn't happening. It didn't like she wake up one day. I want you to know, she didn't just wake up, Christian, and, you know, make a phone call to some friends. Hey, it's Pam. You want to backslide with me this weekend? No, it didn't go down like that. It was compromise, compromise, compromise. It's compromise, 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 compromise. Compromise, 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 compromise. All of this compromise over seven years, and she's now so far away from the Lord, and this is where she met me. Now, Pam and I meet on a blind date, and I know nothing of her relationship with God. She, well, she, you know, well, you wouldn't have gone out with me if you were a believer. Let me just say that. So Pam and I meet, and we did something. This is, I, I, please, don't ever think, well, it worked out for you guys. One in 10,000 make it. We met on a blind date, and three weeks later, we went to Las Vegas and got married. 
Yeah, it's as bad as it sounds. Don't ever do that. It was bad. However, I want to say this to you. Four nights after we went and got married, so I'd only known her three weeks, four nights, she runs back to church for the very first time in seven years because she had just married Satan. It, literally, she's like, this is the devil's kid. I got to get back to God. And she runs back to church on Wednesday night at a church she'd never been to before and know nothing about called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Yes. And there he is. Oh, you know. And that bald head and that shiny light on there. And man, at the end of the service, Pastor Chuck was teaching on why grace changes everything. Romans 7. Oh, wretched man am I who can wrench me from this body of death. Praise be to God and my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those. There's no guilt, no shame. For those who are truly in Christ Jesus. At the end of the service, I'm standing there. I've never been to church before. This is the most bizarre group of people I'd ever seen in my life gathered on a Wednesday night. The guy in front of me, you know, had a vest that said biker for Jesus. He's all inked up. Lady next to him's got gray hair. I'm looking at the two. I'm going, you shouldn't be in any room together. You know, I'm, I'm very critical, you know, and their hands are going up. And I'm like, what in the world is this place? This looks like that first Star Wars movie, you know, that bar scene. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I, I'm all over the map. And all of a sudden, the end of the service, this, my wife's gone. She had an altar. And then she spends 20 minutes with this old man. And she comes off this altar and she's lit like a, like a 500 watt light bulb. She comes running up. And I mean, she's like fuel injected. She's radioactive. And she's screaming, Mike, I'm born again. I'm so born again. And I'm like... Don't know, born. Are you Miss Georgia still? Do you, are you still Miss Georgia? I, I don't know how to rap. I was, and man, our radio started going to Christian radio. And Pam's writing the Bible, and I'm going to church on Wednesdays, Sundays, sometimes on Fridays, and I'm like, and, but I liked it. I had Jesus in my life, but He wasn't my life. He wasn't my life. Pam and I got job offers, both of them were in this upward momentum of our career. She became a headline entertainer on seven of the major cruise lines, and most of them originated out of the port of Miami. And I was offered a job that normally is offered to someone 10 years older than me. I was one of the youngest regional marketing directors for a Wall Street firm, and we started to take a brand new product to Wall Street, and man, it just started to take off. It was called mortgage-backed securities. Yeah, you say, oh, because some of you got caught of it, but the guys over there... Scratch. I knew right away this was bad. But I didn't care. Why? I looked like I had a million dollars, but I was 90 days from going upside down. I had to make a boatload of money just to stay afloat. So I'm now living in South Florida. We're going to a small church now, 450 people. And Pam's plugged into church, and she's just loving Jesus. She's writing songs again. She's doing concerts. She's on the radio. And I'm playing with God. So a year of being in our new location in Fort Lauderdale, one of the elders invites me to have breakfast. Now, I want you to know in all of this, because of my church attendance, I actually become very prideful in my religiosity, if you will. When the elder asked me to have breakfast, I thought they were going to make me an elder. <laughs> I literally went to Pam. I go, hey, Pam, Jeff called. I think they're going to make me an elder. And she's like, I don't think so, but you need to have breakfast with him, you know. So that's for another message. It's a good one. So I go and have breakfast, and I'm thinking I'm going to be an elder. I'm sitting down. I'm going, bring it on. I don't know how you do it. Do you, you unite at me or something? And I'm sitting down. He goes, Mike, have I loved you as a brother in the Lord? And I said, sure, you have. I guess it's some of the questions. I go, sure, you have. 
He said, uh, good, you're not going to like me after breakfast. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I want to share something with you, but I want to know, do I have the freedom? I said, absolutely. He said, good. You're a phony. You wear a mask. You play with God. And you know it. I know it, and God knows it. And your wife told my wife. <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> now, you got to know, man, my marriage is over. As far as I'm concerned, there's no way this woman is staying with me, and she shouldn't. I have been... At best, the worst husband you can imagine. So I'm driving home. My dad had four wives. And I had this thought, I'm becoming Jim. And we just came through Exodus in the Bible. Exodus 20, have no other gods before me. If you do, your children will inherit them to the third, fourth generation. And I went to the pastor. I said, King James says... You'd be cursed to the third and fourth generation. And I went to Bob and said, this is a brutal God. Why should I be paying for my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my dad's God? He says, Mike, let me share with you what that word curse means. It's a term you use every day. And I what's that? It's a banking term. It means deposit. What God is saying, if you have any other gods other than me, you can take this to your spiritual bank. You're going to inherit your dad's gods, your grandfather's gods. And as I started to go through it, I had started to become my dad. Now, you need to know that was not good for me to even have that thought. I get home. My marriage is over with. I'm becoming this man. I open up the door. I walk in. And what happened next, it far transcends anything any human being, any human being can describe because it's spiritual. The evidence is this. I went under a piano with an 18-year alcohol addiction and 11-year cocaine addiction, of which I could not stop. My mind was polluted with pornography. I couldn't stop. My pain of shame and embarrassment of my home life, rejection, abandonment, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, all of it was closed in Armani and Rolex. It doesn't cover up the scars. I open up the door to the house and a rock fell on me and I crushed. I just started bawling and I started begging God, beseeching like Jonah. In my despair, I cried out to the Lord and he, here's what Jonah says, and he heard my cry. I'm a testimony of knowing what it is to, in my despair, I was crying out to the Lord, oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, can you forgive me, Jesus? Oh God, can you forgive me? And the Lord just said, lift your head. It wasn't audible. He said, lift your head and stand up. And I'm like, last thing I said was, God, can you forgive me? He said, lift your head and stand up. And then he said, I already did. It was on my son. Your sin is on him. Your salvation is free. The cost, high. It cost me my son. For God so loved Mike Roselle, who he designed and created, attached himself to my heart that night. An internal God of the universe attached himself to me in a way, in a manner that filled me with passion, emotion that I'd never had, a contentment I'd never experienced, a desire to see others the way he sees them, to have a caring heart the way that he cares, 
And now I started to understand why I was where I was. The world looked at me this way. Pam looked at me this way. And she is the inspiration because she remembers the seven years she walked away from the Lord and what he did for her that night on September 30th. And Pastor Chuck's counsel is, the evidence of you knowing what God did will be manifested to the degree of which it's poured out on others. Jesus says, if you believe in me, as the scripture said, not only will I give you living water, I will fill your well to overflowing capacity. You won't be able to contain it. Right now, for three and a half years, I'm sitting in church under some of the most anointed Bible teachers, and nothing's happening. Nothing's going inside. Why? I got a wall around my heart. I got other plans. I got other desires. I'm doing other things. My world is secular and temporal pursuits. Had nothing to do with eternal purposes. But I'm in church. And then on that day, God lifted that lid off my heart, broke down the walls around my heart. Now I'm in, and I'm watching... The Spirit of God through the Word of God coming forward. Now look at what happened. Now God's using a vessel. And all of a sudden, I can't contain it. It just keeps coming out. Even when we get tired and exhausted, Lord, we don't have nothing left. He said, let me fill you. How's it happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. That clay cannot... Mold and shape itself. But I know this piece of clay, as I was working on it over there, it is one stubborn piece of clay. And that's for someone in the room here today. Why? Because when I go to center it, and it's got to be perfectly centered in my hands. But not just perfectly centered. When the clay becomes perfectly centered, you're going to see that it has given up all of its rights. It'll be yielding with obedience. What's going to take me about three and a half minutes? And at first, it's going to look like this. No! 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 I don't believe! No! No! (laughs) And my hands are going to keep coming. The water's going to keep coming. The intimacy is going to keep coming. And then you're going to find, and it's the most beautiful thing for a potter, when the clay goes like this. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm yours. The potter goes... Now let's get busy. August 2nd, 1991, I got done. Done. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Now Pam, she sees this broken man. She goes before the Lord. She goes, Lord, I love you. Thank you for answering my prayers. But a couple things. One, I never thought you would. (laughs) Two, now that you have, I got myself a little problem. I love you. I don't like him. I don't, want to, I don't want him, Lord. He's hurt me. He's hurt me so deep. Would you soften my heart towards him? Because you're going to have to do it. Could you soften my heart? And you know what the Lord did? What man, what I have joined together, let no man separate. God is a God of reconciliation. He doesn't decide to reconcile. He is reconciliation. So because she was desiring obedience... He answered her prayer, softened her heart towards her man. I want you to see today what it really does look like for a piece of clay to be governed by the potter. Watch what happens. Now keep in mind, 
When Jeremiah walked in the potter's house, he didn't see a white piece of clay, black piece of clay, Hispanic piece of clay, or an Asian piece of clay. It was a piece of clay. It wasn't rich, it wasn't broke, it wasn't educated, it wasn't not educated. It wasn't Baptist, Independent, or Southern. It wasn't United Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Calvary Chapel, nor Catholic. It was a piece of clay. God does not recognize man's divisions. The question is, who governs your life? When a life that is governed by God, as you will see, the clay doesn't have to say anything. As you watch, as my world watches, as my world watches, they see that my life has changed. I had 11 people I went to high school with come out two weeks ago. Completely and absolutely blown away. Four of them gave their hearts to the Lord and the rest of them rededicated their life. Look, if they had the category in my high school, I would have been voted most likely to burn in hell for eternity. (laughs) So you need to know, they see this guy up here now. They're going, what happened? I go, I told you, Jesus. No, it's got to be more than that. It's not. I wish it could be. He doesn't share center stage with anybody. I don't walk in my pottery studio where there's hundreds of pots on the shelves right now, and I walk in, they're all going, well, uh, you should see what I do. Yeah, but look at me. And I go, hey, what are you guys talking about? No. I designed them, I created them. And they're all unique. Exceedingly and abundantly. Here's the plans that God has for us. Exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could hope or imagine. You know what exceedingly means? It literally is a word that says outside of the origin of our understanding. This is what God's plan for all of us are. I'm going to do something exceedingly and abundantly beyond. Keep in mind, in 1959, my parents were divorced. There were 6 million households with single parents. Today, there's 68 million. Do you have an understanding that I get to minister to so many young men and women who aren't young anymore? They came out of a broken home. See, God allowed me to go through something in career that caused me great grief and pain. I was a victim. But today, because of what he does, all things come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I get to minister to the very people that I once was. How's he do it? I don't know. But he does. Watch what happens. Pam's wrote a song, and she she titled it Soften My Heart. It was a prayer that turned into a song. And she's going to sing it for you. Now let me just say this one last thing. God didn't bring me to this brokenness, this place to pay me back. God brought me to brokenness to bring me back to him. Victory and freedom doesn't come without brokenness. Watch what happens.
so amazing to me that in September, Michael and I celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. God is indeed a God of miracles. <laughs> it's also amazing to me how he took two people that couldn't stand each other at one time, and he remolded us, and he reshaped us back into one flesh centered on Jesus. We don't have a perfect marriage. I don't want to give anybody that impression in here. But we have a marriage today that's centered on Jesus Christ. And that's the biggest difference than what it was 31 years ago. 
Michael wanted me to share with you this morning what was happening in our marriage because if it'll help one of you this morning, then it was worth all of the pain and all of the heartache that he and I have had to go through as a couple in order to offer you hope here this morning. For the first seven years of our marriage, about every two weeks or so, Michael and I would have what I refer to as these major confrontations in our marriage. We'd have horrible fights with one another, and we would verbally abuse each other. Now, we both have type A personalities, so we don't sugarcoat anything. We, we go right for the jugular vein. So only the Lord could go back in there and heal the wounds that he and I inflicted upon each other's hearts with our words. But during these fights, Michael would cross the line of anger verbally. He would then proceed to step over that line and to rage. Michael would rage on me. I was always the brunt of his rage, but I knew in my heart I wasn't the cause of it. And I knew the Lord wanted to reveal to him what the cause of this deep-seated anger was in his heart. So I started praying for him. I got my girlfriends together. They were my prayer warriors. They started praying too. And the work began not only in his heart. It actually began deep in my heart first. If you watch his hand this morning going way deep into the center of this pot, it's going to be a very deep process. He'll take his hand all the way to the bottom. And what he's actually going to do, he's going to start to scoop the gunk out of the center of that pot. Do you know why? Because it's still full of itself. We have to give Jesus permission to go deep into the hidden chambers of our own individual hearts to reveal our own personal gunk. And if we ask him to, he'll be so faithful to shine his Holy Spirit searchlight deep within our hearts. And he'll start to show us the, the things that don't bring him glory. And if we confess our sins to him, and if we repent, which simply means to turn around and go in the opposite direction than what we were going before. He'll be so faithful to start scooping that gunk out of our hearts. He'll take it out piece by piece. He'll cover our sins with his blood. He'll take our sins as far as east is to west, and he will never, ever bring them up again. That's the wonderful God that we serve. The Lord started revealing to me the ugliness in my heart, and he said to me one day in that still, small voice, he said, Pam, you know and I know you're harboring hatred in your heart towards Michael. This doesn't bring me glory. Will you surrender this sin today at the foot of my cross, my daughter? Pam, you're harboring bitterness and resentment and holding on to unforgiveness deep inside towards Michael and others, and this doesn't bring me glory either. Will you surrender this sin at my feet? Pam, you hold grudges against Michael. This is not a Christ-like characteristic, but if you allow me to, I'll chisel in its place a Christ-like characteristic. Will it be painful, Lord? Yes, it will. Will it be worth it, Lord? It will, my daughter. Pam, you're critical of Michael. You're critical of other people I've made in my image. Will you surrender this sin today at the foot of my cross? These are just a few of the many things the Lord started revealing to me about the ugliness in my heart. But there is a wonderful promise in the Bible. It's in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, being confident of this, he who began a good work is faithful to see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not through with me yet. He's not through with one of you yet either. And I stand on that promise every day of my walk with the Lord that what he has started in us, he promises to finish it one day. Now, the first time Michael and I ever did what you're seeing here this morning is the Pottersville presentation was 26 and a half years ago. First time we did this at our home church, it was 25 years ago. Now, unbeknownst to us that morning in the service were the marriage counselors. We didn't know it then, but oh boy, did we find out later on. We found out Connie turned to her husband, John, in the middle of the service because the Lord had shown her something about us in the spirit. So she said to him, John... He's a very angry man. We need to pray for the two of them. 
Now, she didn't see this ministry again until three and a half years later after making that comment. And she was so excited at the conclusion of it. She came running down the center aisle up to me. She had tears just rolling down her cheeks. And she said, Pam, what has happened to Michael? The anger that was so prevalent in his face, it is no longer there. I can actually see the love of Jesus shining through his eyes. You have to tell me what the Lord's done in your lives. And I said, Connie, it's a miracle of God because I thought I'd have to live with this anger the rest of my married life. But the Lord's gone deep into his heart. He's revealed to him the root causes of his anger, which are, number one, rejection issues he deals with every day of his life. Number two, abandonment issues. Number three, issues of neglect. And as the Lord is continuing to reveal things to him every day, it's kind of like peeling back that proverbial onion peel piece by piece, and he's giving him revelation. But he's healing him every step of the way as he goes. I'm watching this man of God unfold before my very eyes. She said, well, I knew the Lord had done a miracle because, because I could see it. But then she said something to me I'm never going to forget. She said, Pam, just think. If you had left Michael so many years ago like you so desperately wanted out of your marriage, do you realize you wouldn't have waited long enough to see what the Lord had in store for the two of you? He had a ministry prepared for you too. He was going to call it Potter's Field. And one day he'd be able to use that ministry all over the globe to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to be instruments of healing for broken marriages for such a time as this. As you see, Michael's taking this worthless lump of clay, and he's making it into a vessel of honor and value and utility, and one that's going to be usable in the master potter's hands. When I think back on how bad our marriage was in the beginning, I used to cry out on my face to the Lord, and I'd pray. And I'd say, Lord, please give me a godly man. And when he would be sleeping at night, I'd go in. I would lay my hands on him while he was asleep, and I'd pray for him. And I'd say, Lord, please change him. Make him into a godly man. And when I look over here this morning and I see what the Lord has done in the life of a man who has yielded himself at the master potter's feet, it's a miracle of God. He wants to do that exact work in every heart in this room here this morning. But it takes a willingness and a desire on your part. You have to give him your whole heart, not just pieces of it. I have a supernatural love today for Michael that only God could have given me to take that hatred and that bitterness out, to fill it back up with his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace, his amazing grace. Today, Michael's an ordained pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know it's because of the prayers. Amen. I know it's because of the prayers of many, many saints who prayed for us through the years. And because of God's abundant grace and mercy that he decided one day just to pour out on two ordinary people that decided to trust him with everything that we were and everything we hope to become together in the future. Ephesians 2.10 says... For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. That word workmanship in the original language is poema, and it means masterpiece. We're his masterpieces. We're his priceless works of art. My prayer for you this morning is that you will yield to the Holy Spirit of a living God to become everything he's intended you to become before the foundations of the earth. Amen.
Play me. 
doing fine So I thought on my own I'd been taught to live for myself Life was all about me Truth be told, I was blind Darkened powers ruled my mind All I believed in was based on a lie I'd been offending the God who was watching My sin had built up a mountain of debt God made a way the sun had to pay His blood atoning, my ransom was met. Is this good news or what? I'm forgiven. On the cross in one final blow. Death was undone and my pardon was. Jesus bore our disgrace, Father, forgive them. He prayed with a groan. Drops of blood flowing down found their way to the ground. God turned away as his son died alone. Pardon
<laughs> came out nice. <laughs> from our perspective. See, you and I, right over from Wall Street, there's another street in New York. It's called Madison Avenue. And they burn their candles 24-7. Why? To get you and I to have things we don't need. Why? So we look good on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, God tells the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. I'm getting ready to remove King Saul. Why? He's in rebellion against me. He ain't listening. And the next son, the next king is going to be one of Jesse's boys. So I want you to go. Samuel goes, tells Jesse, grab your boys. First one comes out, the oldest, Benadad. He goes, you're the king. The Lord said, no, he's not. Second son comes out, you're the king. The Lord says, no, he's not. Third son comes out, Shammah, he goes, you're the king. And he says, no, he's not. And now there's four other boys standing there. And he goes, Samuel, God to the prophet. Man looks at the outward, but I, your God, I examine or I, I see the heart. I'm looking for sponges. I'm looking for those I can stick in my word, let my spirit Squeeze them, and the only thing you get is me. So he looks at the four sons and says, nope, nope, fifth, sixth, nope, seventh, nope. All the boys are gone. He doesn't go, man, there must be another Jesse. No. He knew this was a house. So he goes to the dad. You ain't going to believe it. He goes, Jesse, it's none of your boys, but I know the next king's coming out of your house. So I'm going to ask you this obvious question. Do you have any other boys? The father literally said in Hebrew, this is what it would sound like if it, the translation. Kinda. A kind, sorta. Well, what do you mean? He goes, I got Dave. He's with the sheep. Well, go get him. Get the shepherd boy. Shepherd boy walks in. Lord speaks to the prophet, anoint him with oil. This has always ministered to me. His own dad didn't recognize what God did. His own family didn't see what God did. My own family, my own friend, nobody saw what God gifted me at 14 years old except my teacher. But I was such a smart aleck, I went to him and said, I'm better than you and you'll never be as good as me in three months that I have been. And he said, you're right. You're the most gifted, natural potter that I've ever witnessed. But there's one thing I do have that you don't. And I said, what's that? You will never take my class in high school for the next three years. There's the door. I got to share his memorial at the potter's wheel because he came out and saw potter's field ministry, gave his heart to the Lord. And I did his memorial in a tent on video in Entebbe. And I just got a phone call last week from his daughter that he left me a piece of his pottery that I get to pick up. My own family didn't recognize what Cliff Hillier did. A gift. I never struggled at it in my life. But you have to know I have to throw 3,000 of them away up until this point. That goes in the trash. God never let me keep them. Why? I got to point you to the potter. Not to me, the potter. I'm clay like you guys are. I'm just a tool in his hands. Pam's just a tool in his hands. So that shame, that guilt, 
The alcohol was gone. The drugs were gone. It was healing my hurt. But I had a bad victim mentality. I was a victim growing up. But as an adult, if you don't allow God to heal those areas of your life, you'll just go through life blaming everything on everybody and everything. I blamed everybody. Why? I was a victim. I never took any responsibility for any of the choices that I made. I was unable to feel pain, so I wasn't able to experience the pain I was causing others. And one day, I was sharing this with the pastor, and he said, John's Gospel, 5th chapter. I want you to go there and camp out. Here's what it is. Jesus walks up to this man. This man doesn't know who the Lord is. He doesn't know he's going to actually have a conversation with God. But he's at the pool of Bethesda. And the healing pools, if you go on the tour with Pastor Rob to Israel, you'll go to Bethesda. And there's these healing pools. Theory goes that an angel would cover, trouble the waters, and anybody who got in first was healed. We know it to be true because people were there for long periods of time, and they saw those who got in were healed. Okay, they saw it with their own eyes. So this man walks up and says to this man, do you want to be healed? The man looks at him. He says, I've been here for 38 years. I don't have any friends into the, to help me into the pool. I've been here for 38 years. I have no one to help me in. And the Lord speaks to my heart. He says, you're this man. And I'm like, God, I know this area of scripture. How come I never, what do you mean, Lord? I'm this man. It wasn't audible. It just, you're this man. Lord, how am I this man? I'm just kind of unpacking. Do you want to be healed? So now I'm looking, do you want to be healed? And the man, it hits me. He doesn't answer the question. That's a yes or no question. Do you want to be healed? And the guy goes, I've been here for 38 years. Now here comes this story. Here comes this story why he can't be healed. That's me. Do you want to be healed? My dad wasn't at any of my little league games. No one was there to provide for me breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I was on my own. My brother and I, I was shameful and embarrassing environment growing up in a single parent home. No one else had, all the other dads were home with their kids and their family. And my room and my house and my life looked different. And I'd just roll out this full carpet of why I couldn't be healed. And the Lord just said, Mikey, I know your story. I'm just asking, do you want to be healed? And I said, yes. He said, pick up your mat and walk. So I run home, tell Pam what I just told you. And I thought she was going to go, what does that mean? Let's unpack it. I'm like, and the Lord has asked me. He knows my story. And he's asked me, do I want to be healed? And Pam's like, well, do you? <laughs> I'm like a wife, good. I go, what do you mean? She goes, do you want to be healed? I said, I do. And she walks in the kitchen, grabs some oil, and she starts praying for me in her prayer language in our living room. And we're just sitting down. And all of a sudden, my tear ducts start welling up. And my heart starts to pump. And all of a sudden, I start to gas, like something's filling up with my lungs. And I start to have this, <laughs> and I go into convulsions. I'm crying. It's like this cleansing is coming. It's like this washing, and it just is coming out. And she's praying. We're having this really a radical moment. And all of a sudden, I just had this real sense of, you know, this. <laughs> Told you. You see, I was never making a vase. I've always been making a bowl. <laughs> but to make a bowl, when you watch the potter make a bowl from this piece of clay, there's only one thing I have to do that no one else can do. The clay can't do it. I have to stretch it. I have to pull it from the inside out, outside of its realm of possibility, exceedingly and abundantly. I'm taking this thing beyond its origin of understanding of what it's capable of doing. The only way that the potter is glorified is when he takes a worthless piece of clay and he molds it and shapes it into something that anybody that knows that clay knows that the person himself could never do it. 
God is in the business of taking us outside of our box. Beyond. Way beyond. Three months after I got saved on a Wednesday night service, pastor folds his Bible up 15 minutes and goes, hey, I'm going to give an invitation to born-again Christian, Christ followers. I want you to know this is God's world. It's not ours. We go wherever God asks us to go. The eternal God of the universe wants to attach himself to your life and give you all the resources you need to get through all of the difficult trials and things that you have to walk in. But he also wants to give you passion, emotion, and commitment. But you don't get to decide where you go. You've got to yield to what he has for you. He's fashioned you. I looked at Pastor Rob last night, and he's going to be sworn in as mayor. And the way and the manner in which this man, and I've known him for 25 years. I've known him when he was youth pastor. I've known Michelle. I've known Pastor Tony Logan for 26 years. I've known a lot of these men, Pastor Craig and Lauren. You can't believe how they have been fashioned very specifically for what they do. I look at their lives and go, I could never do that. And they look at mine and go, I could do that. <laughs> no, we've all been fashioned differently. My point is, there's a good life here in the United States. Why? It's hard not to have a good life when you've traveled all over the world. But there's a better life for everybody all over the world than the good life. There's a better life, and that's one that God designed for you. I stood at an altar. He started to give an invitation to born-again Christians to surrender their lives to God's purpose and plan for their lives and they would go where God asked them to go. Pam and I looked at each other. It was like it was for us. We grabbed each other by the hand, and we went forward. And when we went forward, I got to tell you, we thought it was for the two of us. It was 400 other people in a room of 800. And we stood at an altar that night, and I can only tell you what it really did feel like is that God, and I got this demonstration from this. That night, it was so real for all of us that there was a, there was a sense of feeling. And it was... The pastor being held up over the congregation and God was just pouring through him into our lives and we got touched because we were all parched. We were dry. We didn't even know how dry we were until we went for the drink. And once it drank, we just couldn't stop. And I've shared this at this church. Now the church from 400, now it's 22,000. You won't believe the people that were at that altar that night in 91 who are in full-time ministry all over the world today. How did it happen? I don't know. How would you describe a miracle? I don't know. I had a little Guatemalan man lay on my hands on my back. I was flying home with Pastor Don. I was going home. I had a herniated disc. I had Pastor Don, all these power players, pastors pray for me the night before. My back was still, my disc was slipped. I was going to be out seven months. little Guatemalan man lays hands on me. He says, hey, I want to pray for you. I said, you have to pray in, in Spanish because if you don't, um, if you do it in English, I won't believe it because I just don't believe God wants to heal me. I know he wants to heal others, but I just never felt that. So I'm going to let you pray for me, but do it in Spanish and I'll think it's tongues. And so he did this ring around. I'm not kidding. He starts praying for me, you know, in Spanish. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, and, and uh, amen. I go, amen. And I walked and I was flying home with Pam, getting home to come do the operation. I couldn't even straighten up. I walk away. I walk from here to the glass doors. And I'm with Pastor Danny Hodges. And I'm like, Danny... Danny, I'm not kidding you, Danny, I think I'm healed. He's going, no. I go, I'm healed. So Pam and I fly home. I don't have any pain. We get home. We walk into the doctor's. We put up, go get another MRI. And before the doctor put the MRI up, I said, Dan, listen up. If that herniated disc is gone against that one, you're going to do a medical mission trip with me. You've got to commit right now. You're my doctor, and you're my friend, and you're going to go. He goes, if that herniated disc is not on that screen, I will go. Put it up, boom, gone. 
In January, listen up. In January, it will be our sixth year. I've taken over 120 doctors and nurses. Let me tell you, Guatemala right now, because that volcano. You know what a doctor looked at me? And he looked at Pam. And Pam's like, we knew it, we knew it. (laughs) Now, here's what I want you to know. If you were me, how would you tell someone that God, through a prayer of a man that was obedient, healed your herniated disc? I don't know. I'm just telling you it did, and it did. And people go, nah, he didn't really have one. I go, okay. What do you mean? I go, I'm not in pain, man. I don't really care if I have it or don't. If it's on the screen, it doesn't matter. One year later, Pam and I are full-time ministry. How? I don't even know how to tell you. That night, something happened. I met two weeks later with the pastor. We're having lunch. I said, Bob, I can't go back to work. Something's happened. He goes, I don't know. It was a radical night. He goes, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about money or anything? I said, that's real simple. I'd be a potter. He goes, you'd be a potter? Like on the wheel? With I go, yeah. He goes, man, what a noble profession. That's the Lord. Go do it. I go, okay, I go do it. He goes, no, that's the Lord. I said, how do you say that it's the Lord? He said, because I've never had anybody say, I want to be a potter, Bob. It's got to be the Lord. I go, that's reckless. You can't just say that. He goes, yes, I can. I go, how do you do that? He said, who gave you the gift? I said, the Lord. He said, the Lord. Who gave you that desire? I said, the Lord. He said, the Lord. I go, well, how do I do it? He goes, oh, that I don't know. So I drive home. Pam's late in the sun. She goes, hey, how was lunch with Bob? I go, oh, the guy snapped, told me to quit my job and go be a potter. Not kidding. She goes, that's the Lord. I go, Pam. She goes, no, listen, I'm reading this book by Melanie Green. It's titled No Compromise. I just got done going, Lord, would you give Michael and I a ministry like Melanie and Keith? It's about Keith Green, the, you know, the Christian artist who went home to be with the Lord. So she goes, go quit your job. Three weeks later, I'm, I've left my office. I'm in my backyard making pots. She's booking a boatload of cruises, and they pay her a ridiculous amount of money for 10 songs. Nine months later, we go from steak and lobster to weenie and beans. And so I'm going back to work. But we have one thing left to do. i got to bring out the wheel and do a demonstration at the ladies' retreat on June 20th. She's got some songs she'd written. I did the thing in the morning, went home at noon. She calls me up. Says, you're sitting down. I said, I am. She says, the Lord never was going to give you that gift for all the other stuff that you thought it was. It was for what we did today. I go, what do you mean? She goes, you will never know how God used this message today. People have never seen the intimacy and the love that a potter has for the clay. And they started to see how God sees them. Because they got to witness from the biblical perspective that God is the potter, man is the clay. And women were weeping. And they were, we had so much ministry at the altar. She said, babe, I love you more as a broke potter than I ever did a regional marketing director working for a Wall Street firm, and I'm willing to go bankrupt if God's not in it. I go, Pam, don't say that. (laughs) So I went and got some counsel from the pastors. They go, hey, listen, my sheep hear my voice. You hear from the Lord. Take a walk with God and ask him. So I walked with the Lord that Sunday. I said, Lord, show me, and I'll do it. And he said, do it, and I'll show you. I showed up, and I didn't take the job, and 90 days later, we're living in a 900-square-foot apartment driving to Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. and we're in ministry. Figured I'd be back to work in three months, 27 years, all over the world. Four months after that, January 93, went on my first short-term mission trip. Never been the same. Came back, 10 days in the jungles down there. Came back and I'm just going, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Complaining about this 900 square foot apartment. I love it. Air conditioning's good. Running water, flushing toilets. Wow, Lord, you taught me a great lesson. No more lessons for 93. I got it. You know, I'm having that rap. 
And I'm over there channels for the Lord's like, I didn't send you down to show you how blessed you are. Oh, I'm a blessed man. I live in the United States. Well, of course you are. I sent you down there to ask you, what are you going to do about all those children? Lord, I was going to ask you, you got a lot of children, man. Well, that's a big problem. What are you going to do? He goes, well, I want you to sponsor one of them. Lord, we love giving our first fruits to the church. We love tithing. He goes, no, this is over and above. This is an alms. It's 67 cents a day. It's change. Lord, I'm a missionary. It's 20 extra bucks. I don't even have it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you in on something. I know three guys just off the top of my head right now. They're loaded. They don't do nothing for you. Here are their names and what service they go to. (laughs) What do you have in your hand, Mike? I said, remote control. I said, what's it to? And I said, cable. Pam. Yeah, babe. Over and above our tithes, we're going to give, uh, we're going to sponsor one of those little girls. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So I said, babe, here's what we're going to do. We're going to grab a glass and all the change goes in there. It's just 67 cents a day. Okay. So I walk with the Lord and I go, hey, you and I both know that $20 a month never changed anything. He said, you know what the 12 told me? Exactly the same thing. I said, what do you mean? I asked him to walk in the crowd because I needed to feed 5,000 people. I said, go in and give me what they'll be willing to give back. Do you know of the 5,000? There was just one boy, and he gave five loaves and two fish. Would you stop looking at your economy and my economy in the same economy? I took those five loaves, two fish, and what did I do? I said, you you fed thousands. Give me your 67 cents, and I'll feed thousands. Let me say this to you. 20 years later, I can't even tell you the tens of thousands of children that have fed gone to college from that first 67 cents. Pottersfield Kids Program has 15,000 children on four different continents around the world today. It started from that change hitting the bottom of that glass. In my best day on Wall Street, I could not raise the money that God has raised for me from the change in thousands of people's pockets. And one of the couple that's here is Pastor Craig and Lauren. In 09, I made my first trip to Africa. And I don't even know how many pastors that Pastor Don and I have taken to Africa that are now involved there. All over the world. Why? Hey, Pam, we're going to sponsor. Okay. Prayed over it. Multiplied it. Took Pam to Africa. Rocked her. By the way, seeing Pam in Africa is like watching Snow White at the castle. The ki- I mean, seriously, it's a trip. You got it. Miss Lauren, is it right? I mean, you, Pam, they, uh, Pam just, you got to see Pam in Africa. Anyways, uh, she, we come home from Africa, oh, 10, she drops the tray and put, has a napkin out, and she goes, songs in the night. Puts the tray up, folds it up, puts it in her pocket. We landed 30 hours later. We did the weekend services at Crossroads. They have a, like a $2 million recording studio. They're, Worship leader is a dear friend of ours. She told Jason about the song. He went in, hit all the power and everything. Two of them went in, and they recorded songs in the night. She's going to sing it for you right now. We put some pictures with it, and then we're going to go home. You can't believe what God will do with just a little bit of change.
One child at a time I'm gonna try to find a way To keep you safe and warm Use me, I'll be your hands and feet A shelter from the storm I can hear you Your songs in the night There is hope on the horizon He can see you Hear your whispered prayer I pray to God That kids like you Feel free from harm tonight When I look into your eyes So innocent and sweet I see the shadows of the pain Your victories and defeats I see the hunger, I see the tears As I wipe them from your face I see the hurt, a glimpse of hope Longing for a warm embrace once was pure Only by your precious grace The children will endure I can hear you Your songs in the night There is hope on the horizon He can see I pray to God that kids like you feel free from harm tonight. I pray to God that kids like you feel free from harm tonight. If you feel led this morning to co-labor with us with the Pottersfield Kids Program, we've brought some prayer children, and they're on the back table as you exit today. You can choose one. If you turn it over, fill the envelope out on the left-hand side. We'd like to give you some gifts today if you do that. Um, I'll give you one of my uh, Christmas CDs with the song I sang today on it. Um, my new book that I wrote about all the miracles and the backstory of what Michael and I have been through. And also a Mudman burger for free today if you decide to sponsor as our gift from us to you. 
We take a medical mission trip that Michael told you about every year to Guatemala in January. And if you choose a child from Guatemala, then maybe one day you could actually meet that child, which would be a real blessing for you guys. This has been incredible for Michael and I because all our married life, he and I haven't been able to have our own biological children. But as you see, I'm a mother to thousands of children all over the world. He is faithful, he is true, and he is just. In the book of Isaiah, it says, Oh, sing, barren woman, for many more are your descendants. And as you see, that's become reality in our lives. So if you'd like to sponsor one of our prayer children, please meet me at the back table, and I'd love to sign you up here this morning. Thank you very much. Did you give a CD? Yeah. Well, why do you get to give stuff out? I'll tell you what, if you sponsor today, I'll give you a Mudman burger. I gave it to him. <laughs> no. I already yeah. did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How long ago was your daddy go home? Fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago. Night before, Pam and I were in the hospital at 1130. Her dad kicked us out because we were doing a service in the morning. This pastor had been trying to book us for seven years, and uh, we were about three and a half hours away, and her dad had cancer. And uh, he just kicked us out. He said, hey, look, you listen, drive back up on Monday. I'll, I'm good. Uh, you're going to go win souls. I need you to get out of here. And so we went, and that three-and-a-half-hour drive, when we landed there, we got the phone call that Jim had walked into heaven, and Pam wasn't there. So the next morning when I gave an invitation, this is what I said. I said, for those of you who are invited here today, and you're sitting with your children, or you're sitting with your parents, and you don't know the Lord. There's one thing I am going to say this to you tonight, and I don't get to do this very often, but my father-in-law stepped into heaven from the body present before the Lord. And there's something I can tell you that as much as we're going to grieve as a family next week because we're going to be doing Jim's victory, Pam and Jim are going to see each other again. But for those of you who are sitting here right now and you know that there are believers in your family and you're not, I'm here to tell you this pastor's been trying to book this church for seven years and I couldn't work out that, but it is for today because he wanted to wait till Jim went home so I could say it to this congregation of which was a lot of older people because they were snowbirds. And I gave an invitation. And I cannot tell you the people between 50 and 80 that gave their hearts to the Lord that day. That's a very rare thing. You see, we're all going to take our last breath and step into eternity. And I want you to know that life's a mess. The only thing I really brought Jesus was the mess of my life. But I got to tell you, as a potter, I love getting dirty. When I'm messy, that means I've been working. So I want to give you an opportunity to give him your mess, your doubt, your unbelief. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's, I don't know. But it's hindering your relationship, your freedom. And that's what he has created us to do. He said, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. There might be someone here today that's never received the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity. There might be someone here today that when I was sharing about being stuck on a mat, you're looking back, you keep looking back, and you keep looking back at circumstances, situations, or an individual. And I'm going to just tell you, let it go, man. Just let it go. Get off your mat and press on to what he has in front. Don't waste any more time. Let it go. 
there might be someone today too that walked with the Lord and you're just parched. And you need a drink of living water. If you believe in me, as the scriptures have said, not only am I going to give you living water, I'm going to fill your well to overflowing capacity. You're not going to be able to stop it. You're not going to be able to contain it. The only hope that this world has, gang, the only hope I, I believe, the only hope that this world has is the power of God's love, his grace, his mercy being poured out on those that need it. And we all need it. I've watched it change communities. I've watched it change me. And I was one who didn't think that I could be changed. So I'm just testifying. But you have to respond. He gives man a free will. I remember after I got saved under the piano, two nights later I was standing there at the service and my, the Lord was really prompting me to go forward publicly. And I'm like, Lord, why do you want me to do this publicly? I mean, I've told everybody I'm supposed to. And I'm wrestling with God just inside. And the Lord's just prompting me. And I'm, I'm going, Lord, what will all these people think about me now? What will they all think about me if I come forward? And this incredible thought came over me. Mikey, would you please consider how much no one is personally thinking about you? It was like my first born-again spirit. I'm like, wow, no one is thinking about me. So I leaned over to Pam. I said, Pam, I feel like the Lord would have me go publicly. Would you? She goes, oh, I believe he would. I'm like, oh, good. Would you go with me? She goes, yeah. She grabbed me by the hand. We went forward. Now, Pam's on the radio. I mean, everyone's going to know it's Pam Roselle. No one knows me from Adam's house cat. I don't even know what that means. My father and I always used to say it. <laughs> don't worry about what people are going to think. And then there's that marriage that needs a touch. This is a season right now that God has given out gifts. But if he's given them out, you've got to take them and open them. If I give you a gift and you don't open it, I don't want it because I don't know what's required of me. Well, then don't open it. doesn't mean it's a gift and the gift is free, but you've got to come and get it. And we access heaven through prayer, so let's all stand up. I want to show you one last thing as you stand up. I got dirty here tonight. A young man came up to me 18 years ago, and he was sponsoring. He was in college at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I looked at him. I said, how old are you? He says, I'm 21. I said, you're 21. I know you don't have any dough. Man. I'm so impressed that you would, you know, make that kind of sacrifice. He says, well, it's not much of a sacrifice for me. And he holds up the kid. He goes, because I'm one of these kids. I said, what do you mean you're one of these kids? He goes, I was sponsored my whole life. I grew up in Juarez, Mexico. And now I'm going to do what someone else did for me. I go, so you're like a little kid on the icebox? All... Now grown up? And he goes, well, I don't know where they put my picture, but yeah. I said, give me a hug. I've never met a full-grown sponsor kid. He goes, no, you're dirty. I look down, I go, I am. Lord, how come the potter doesn't know he's dirty? Lord said, answer it. The reason I don't know I'm dirty? One, I love getting dirty, and when I'm dirty, it's because I've been doing this. I see this first before I ever start the work. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in the small things, enter into your masters, enter into the potter's blessing. you got to know, I already knew what I was doing with 150 pounds of worthless clay. It's when I opened up the kiln, I lost my mind. It made it through the fire six times. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I call Pam, God pot, God pot. Get up here now. You know? I mean, I'm like freaked. And I know there's someone right now going, wow, that would look great in my house. He hung on a cross for all of our sins. He says, you're going to look great in my father's house. But I am the truth, the way, and the life. 
and no man is going to come to the Father except through me. God clothed himself in humanity in his love for us. He went to a cross and died for us. So we will never experience death. So, Lord, you're going to give me heaven, this side of heaven, and then heaven? Yes. But this is nowhere near heaven. Heaven is no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what I have prepared for those who love me. Please understand, if you took 150 pounds of dirt and I had to try to describe to that piece of dirt, those six bags of clay, that it was going to look like this, how would I be able to do that? I couldn't. But you need to know I already saw it finished before I even started the work. And these are the words of God. Like clay is in Mike's hands, so are you in my hands. God speak. Mm. Pam's going to close in a song. If you've never received Christ, we access heaven through prayer. He calls us openly and publicly. I want to give you that opportunity. If you're stuck on a mat and he says, hey, do you want to be healed? Let that other stuff go. Would you come? Come. Watch him set you free. Take the bricks out of the backpack. For that dry person. Man, let me tell you, we go through seasons. Most The spout is open, man, and take a drink. No For that marriage. Grab your wine. Come. I'm praying. Come. Come. Bring him whatever it is you want. And he's offering free gifts today. Come. It's a prayer he never turns down. If you ask him into your heart, he will never say no. You invite him in, and he says yes. Come. I'm praying. There is somebody here today. I want to give you that opportunity. God does. Come. And I pray that there's someone who can really get off this mat and let what's behind him go. Is there anyone? Stay nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. There is no counterpunch for humility. There is none. I need thee, oh, bless me. how my Savior I come. I need thee every hour in joy or if you pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is in vain. I need thee. My Savior, I come to Thee. Is there a young leader right now, and you know you've been called to leave, and you lead, and, and, and you need development? This is a church that will help you. Grow you in me, Jesus.
Savior, I come to you. 